0: Welcome to Why I Hate Your Podcast. These days, there are a lot of podcasts to choose from. This is another one. I'm Crystal and each week my brother Sean and I meet up to talk about two podcasts and why we hate them or don't. Join us and we might help you find your new favorite podcast or save you from wasting time on a podcast you might hate. First up today, we're gonna be reviewing Cautionary Tales This is a podcast from Pushkin Industries. We've previously reviewed uh, Revisionist History, which is also from Pushkin. This one is hosted by Tim Harford, and much like Revisionist History, it also partners... They partner with iheartmedia for their advertising purposes the official description of this is we tell our children unsettling fairy tales to teach them valuable life lessons but these cautionary tales are for the education of the grown-ups and they are all true tim harford from financial times bbc author of the data detective and the undercover economist brings you stories of awful human error tragic catastrophes, daring heists, and hilarious fiascos. They'll delight you, scare you, but also make you wiser. So that's the official description. And as it says, this is basically a podcast series, which is published in seasons. I think they've had two seasons thus far. I think they're coming up on their third season, which is going to be a little larger than the prior two. And essentially, it is about taking lessons from past historical events slash not even historical events necessarily but maybe things learned from multiple kind of parallel events or similar events it's it's a broad i would say they have a broad range of topics to cover It not directly here's the titanic disaster and here's what we learned it's much more kind of nuanced and the events that they choose to pick from are not maybe necessarily the big ones you would think of sometimes they're smaller stories but they try to tie them to something that is either currently going on or something that is has happened in recent past they might start talking about a story that's from 200 years ago and relate it to something that's in the last 50 to 60 years Or it might be taking something from 60 years ago and relating to something that's going on today. I honestly don't know how I came to this podcast. I can't remember. Um, I'm pretty sure I heard about it probably, probably on another podcast that uses iHeart. I don't know. I discovered it when it launched and I did start listening to it. And at first I was kind of "Eh, meh about it, but I kept listening and I did find some value in it. But it's a unique podcast in that it's not, It's kind of hard to... I mean, it is called Cautionary Tales and it does sort of focus on things we can take lessons from, but that's a pretty broad topic, right? Like that's not narrowing in on a specific theme. So it's really kind of a wide range of things that they could talk about. Their most recent episode was Tim Harford reading a chapter, actually the last chapter from his book, The Data Detective, which was kind of interesting. So in light of them getting ready to publish their next season. I thought it'd be a good time to review this one. I, like I said, I've been listening to it since the beginning. And this is your first exposure to it. Um, so which episodes did you pick out to listen to?
1: So just by looking at the uh, the episode titles, went to Fire at the Beverly Hills Supper Club and Spreadsheet of Life and Death. And only got through two of them, and there's a reason for this, but... We will I'm sure hash that out. Uh, but my initial impression of it was that it, it, it's a very highly it's a well produced podcast. It has kind of this documentary vibe at the level of like 99% invisible or you know Malcolm Gladwell's revisionist history, there's a really good production value to it. The person uh, who does the podcast, Tim Harford. Uh, Tim yeah, Tim Harford, yes. He's really good at this. And now that I know he's a journalist, that kind of makes sense. This is kind of up his alley, right? It's just telling these stories. They're almost... And I would say they're almost kind of investigative in a kind of weird... Not so much in a news journalist way, but Mm -hmm. I guess more it's of an analysis, right? Right. So I did enjoy the fact of it's really well produced. And the episodes aren't too long either. They're about 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes each. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's actually... Like I said, there's two seasons and there's not a ton of episodes. No. Uh, and each episode is kind of its own contained thing. Although I do think that uh, one thing I, you had mentioned that it, you know, it, it comes from Pushkin, but it's an iHeartRadio and I didn't get any of the iHeartRadio ads on the two I listened to. Really? Which I, yeah. Well. Okay. So the very first episode I listened to, the fire at the Beverly Hills Supper Club, there was the Pushkin intro. And then there was kind of a corporate ad for Paycom, but it wasn't like the iHeart, you know, just cuts in the middle of something and then you get this ad. It it felt like it was an actually ad that was produced probably by Pushkin. And then the only other ad was a mid-roll ad that Tim actually reads himself for Dunkin' Donuts. I refuse to call it Dunkin', by the way.
0: Just, (laughs) it's, I don't know why their
1: name changed to just Dunkin' annoys me greatly, and I have no idea why. So I refuse to call it Dunkin', but uh, it was a self-read ad. So, I mean, and that's a big corporate sponsor, too, so... Yeah. Because when I listen to these podcasts, I usually try to do as little research as possible if I haven't heard the podcast before, so I can mm-hmm. listen to it without kind of any preconceived notions of what it's about or how it's going to do. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, well, they don't have a lot of episodes, and they've got Dunkin' Donuts as a sponsor, or Dunkin'. Ugh. And I was just kind of surprised by that. I was like, that's a big sponsor. So I, I figured he must have been known outside of this podcast. So, and I'm assuming he's probably a well-respected journalist for the various organizations he's written for. When I started listening to it, I was like, okay... This is going to sound good. And then I got really confused by the format of the podcast. At the Fire at the Beverly Hills Supper Club, he spends a quarter of the episode, even more, talking about what he had talked about in the first episode, like rehashing that story. And I didn't listen to the very first episode, but I was like, okay, why are we re-listening to what happened in the first your first episode, right? Mm-hmm. You already covered that topic. And all in all, the episode's only like maybe 30 minutes, he probably spent a grand total of five minutes talking about the fire at the Beverly Hills Supper Club. And, and, and what it ended up being is it was an episode more so about COVID than it was the fire at the Beverly Hills Supper Club. That kind of really annoyed me because I was like, OK, I don't understand the format of this podcast now. It, it, what What is the true story of the podcast? So I was really confused by that.
0: Yeah. So I think. And I do recall that episode, and I I remember listening to that episode feeling like, because it was right at the height of the pandemic, it was right at the height of the lockdowns. I want to say it was published, I don't remember when, but maybe summer of last year, uh, 2020. And I remember listening to it and going, this feels forced, this particular episode, this one in, in particular feels forced. And yes. feels like they're trying to hastily make a connection from something they already had done the research on, right? So they don't, they they didn't have to do any new research, and it, they could just kind of grab that and then cram it and make it fit the the narrative of what was going on with COVID. That one, honestly, I feel like was one of their weakest episodes. And I think the problem is is that they they plan all these episodes way in advance. Like they they plan a season. They do all of the research like you said it's, it's very much an investigative kind of journalism project so there's a lot of research that's done it's carefully thought out and scripted and so i feel like this one was one that they sort of crammed together and said well we already did the research on this topic a while back let's like force that square peg into this round hole and i mean there's some relevance there but it, it really felt forced i did not like that episode at all because it did feel like let's hurry up and get something out so we can make a statement about covid which yeah, a lot of podcasts fell victim to that last year, unfortunately, and I'm I don't want to hold it against the overall podcast because again, a lot of podcasts fell victim to that. They felt like they had to say something about COVID. It had to be part of their. Like they had to insert themselves into the whole narrative when that's not really what their podcast is about. It's a looking back at history and what can we learn? How can we apply it today with the benefit of hindsight and a lot of research that's gone into X, Y, or Z? And I think the other episode you mentioned, Spreadsheet of Life and Death, I think is much more like that. Whereas this one, it just felt really rushed and really kind of we've got to say something about COVID or nobody's going to listen to us kind of thing. It really kind of felt desperate. And I agree. I really did not like that episode.
1: And again, kind of going back to my previous statement, you know, the title's called The Fire at the Beverly Hills Supper Club. But like I said, he only talked about that for a few minutes. And the relational stories from, uh, which was about, I believe, an oil tanker, Uh, Which they had covered in the first episode, which I may want to go back and listen to that just to see how much of he's actually repeating of that content. Mm -hmm. And then with COVID, what makes all three of those stories relatable is very thin. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically saying, oh, well, the fire at the Beverly Hills Supper Club, which I don't know how many times I'm going to say that, you know, it spread very quickly. And it's like, well, it's like COVID, which spreads very quickly. And that's really the only connection between the two stories. Right. Uh, So like you said, yeah, forced is an excellent way of putting it. So and, you know, we had talked offline about that. And you're like, yeah, that wasn't a great episode. So I went and listened to the other episode, which was Spreadsheet of Life and Death. And I was still annoyed. But in retrospect, I'm kind of changed my opinion a little bit. But here's my thing again with that one which i i do think that was a really interesting story on how the nhs determines you know the cost benefit analysis of certain things and this is a lot of stuff you know especially us here in like america we don't really talk about with uh, these kind of healthcare systems like they have in canada and the nhs they have in england where there is the, there is cost benefit analysis done to certain treatments and you can literally be blocked off from treatments simply because it's just to them from a numbers game it's not there's not a benefit to it but that's wasn't primarily the episode the episode's more or less three stories that all kind of have human life is based around numbers you know a numbers game a cost benefit analysis you know talking about the cost of the bombers you know they were cheaply made because they knew they were going to get shot down, not really accounting for, oh, it's going to get shot down and kill everybody inside of it, you know, during World War II. So there was three stories total that all kind of have the same theme to it. So that connection was a little better. But what still annoyed me about it was that he would start off with the, the NHS story, talk about it for a few minutes, and then spend large chunks of time on these other stories and then come back to the AH, NH, uh, NHS story for like one, one, two minutes and then spend a long time on these other stories. And so the actual title of the episode only accounts for maybe if at best 20% of the episode. And so I think that's how I why I was annoyed because I approached it thinking this is going to be mostly about, you know, the NHS, their cost-benefit analysis of treatments when in all reality that was such a minor fraction of the overall story the bigger story is about cost benefit analysis on various other things or industries what? that can affect human life. and so that that's that's that what's my main problem was that it maybe it's just the 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 structure or the title or something need to be better worded to kind of say okay this is more about this here's some stories that kind of support that and not have one story that's actually like the the actual topic of the podcast be only 20% at most of the podcast.
0: I feel like that might be slightly unfair because the title of the podcast is Spreadsheet of Life and Death. It doesn't say NHS Spreadsheet of Life and Death. It just says Spreadsheet of Life and Death. I think the theme of the podcast, which all three stories relate to, is what is the cost of a human life? What is a human life worth? And it's three different stories that are all evaluating that exact question. So you have the NHS, which is evaluating, I don't want to spend, the NHS doesn't want to spend... The, the high, high, high cost of these cancer drugs for this specific kind of cancer that's impacting X percentage of, you know, basically what is the math behind deciding whether or not the NHS is going to pay for a specific cancer drug when there's all these different, because there's there's so many of these new drugs that will treat certain I don't wanna say fringe, but types of cancer that have some subset of the overall cancer population, right? If it's breast cancer, everybody's like, Oh, well the breast cancer is so widespread that, you know, anything that treats breast cancer is gonna be something we wanna consider covering. But, you know, when you talk about a specific type of cancer, I think in this case it was kidney some kidney related cancer. And it was a guy in his 50s who overall was pretty healthy. who was like, why isn't the NHS going to cover this? And it actually ended up becoming political because David Cameron kind of latched onto this as a political football and said, hey, this is bad and I'm going to do something about it if I'm elected, which he did. He instituted this fund that was specifically for cancer drugs. Then the same guy, the irony was, which he circled back to later, was the same guy ended up with a weird brain cancer. He took the he got the drugs covered for his kidney disease and he but like. 10 years later, he has this brain tumor and there's some experimental drug and now he's advocating for that. But the cancer drug fund that he advocated to get set up that David Cameron did only covers cancer drugs, right? So it comes back down to how do we decide what's going to be covered? What what will the money go to? And they and then the other stories he talked about was, like you said, the war, in World War II, how do we deliver the bombs in a cost-effective way? And one of the factors was, it was the original algorithm that they came up with was, here's the cost of the airplanes. If we build them really cheaply, we can send many, many more airplanes that will get past, you know, we have better odds of getting the bombs delivered, but nobody factored in the cost of the actual human lives inside those planes. And they're like, oh, Yeah, we gotta figure out what that is, but how do you estimate the cost of a human life? And then it goes into the story of how the cost of risk is determined when it comes to human lives. And they I think they call them micro morts. And so it comes down to how much is a person willing to spend to protect their own life. So things like, am I gonna buy a bicycle helmet or whatever in relation to the relevant risk of a certain activity? And so all of those things come back to what is the cost of a human life? What is what is a human life worth? from a monetary perspective, which is important to multiple industries. So I get that the original story, you kind of start out with that story and then you abandon it. And then for 15, 20 minutes, you're talking about other topics that are similar. And then he circles back to that story at the end. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because I think the overall theme was, what is the cost of human life? I think maybe it tells me that they didn't do a good job of communicating that maybe in the show notes and or the title I do think – I think it's okay to start out with one topic and kind of – because, I mean, we saw the same thing with revisionist history, where he started out with one topic, which was the way that accounting is done at museums and those museums that are in financial trouble, and then went through this weird – Kind of path among many different topics to eventually circle back to that topic and it all kind of stitched together. I think this does it a little more clumsily, but it still does it.
1: Yeah, I'll agree with that. Like revisionist history, it was much more organic. You were, and we've said this before, it's like a curated Wikipedia rabbit hole. Right. That's uh, revisionist history. And so it's like Malcolm Gladwell's guiding you through this rabbit hole. So it feels a lot more organic. This is just very abrupt. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. And because it's so abrupt, it feels very forced. Mm-hmm. And it, it, even then, so let's say if, you know, maybe all three stories need equal amount of uh, time. And maybe it needs to be paced together much better. But yeah, it did feel very abrupt. And it just, it, for some reason, it just annoyed me. I, and I, and the, the unfortunate thing is I can't really describe why. Because it's like, okay, well, we're talking about the Micromords. And then, oh, we're back to the NHS story, which I find the NHS, NHS, NHS story much more interesting of those three stories. And he talks about it for a minute. And then we're back to the World War II bombers for, you know, a, for an extended period of time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, but again, it's all very abrupt because, it, it, and here's the thing, it's like, it will, he'll talk about the micro Micromort's cuts to a commercial, right? Yeah. And then he talks about the NHS thing for one minute after the commercial, and then it's the World War II bombers for an extended period of time. And, th- and there's no organic transition between the three subjects. That's why I was really annoyed by it. And I just, it didn't really work for me.
0: I think that has to do with, I think it comes down to the writing. And I do think Tim Harford's actually a good author. I mean, I I listened to the episode where it was just a chapter from the Data Detective and I actually thought it was really good. But I think maybe there's a little less, or the- I think there's something about the nature of writing for a podcast versus writing a book that I can understand because th- there's been times listening to this podcast where I would get confused or lost if I if I didn't pay attention for a minute, like if I was, you know, cleaning house yes. and there was 30 seconds that my focus wasn't on the podcast and then I come back and I'm like, wait, what? Um, and I think the episode we talked about, The Fire at the Supper Club... Beverly Hills Supper Club, was one where I did feel like it was kind of weirdly, like it didn't feel like it worked. The The connection and the correlation didn't, didn't work for me. Or it seemed so obvious at a very kind of high, stupid level. It's like a fire spreads quickly, a virus spreads quickly. These two are related. It was very kind of awkward and... I don't know, I couldn't get any subtext or anything kind of interesting about that. It wasn't interesting to me. So that one just felt, like I said, felt kind of forced. This one I thought was much, much, much better. The Spreadsheet of Life and Death. It's one of actually my favorite episodes of Cautionary Tales. But I can understand and I agree that the writing is maybe not as smooth for those transitions between. And sometimes it feels like, if I was a better writer or smarter, I'd probably be able to tell you. But I'm, I'm not sure what it is about the way Malcolm Gladwell does it versus the way Tim Harford does it that makes the transitions feel more organic between the stories. Um, this one I felt much, much more. I felt this one made a lot more sense and was better paced and was better overall. But I would agree it's not as smooth and organic as an episode of revisionist history when it comes to that, that transition between you know to weave all these stories together.
1: The, the thing is, Malcolm Gladwell, he has one topic and it slowly transitions into the new topic, mm-hmm. right? Whereas this, he'll talk and it's a dead stop.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then he immediately switches to the other subject. Dead stop, immediately switches to the other subject. So there's not like any kind of corresponding transition between these things. And it's very disjointed. And when you said to hey you know, because a lot of people listen to podcasts while they're doing things, doing the dishes, you know, whatever. Yeah. And there are times where 30 seconds pass and you, you're not hundred percent paying attention to the podcast. And that's kind of what happened with me, uh, in both episodes really was that I was like, hold on, wait, what, what are we even talking about now? And it was like maybe, you know, 15, 20 seconds that I may have missed. And I'm just like, okay, I'm completely lost. What are we talking about? And so that, I think that kind of include made the, the harsh transitions, uh, a little harder to kind of deal with, I think. Right. So, uh, yeah, it, but the thing is, and I will agree, this spreadsheet of Life and Death was a much better episode. I actually have that as a note saying this episode's a lot better. Mm-hmm. But still, like you said, the pacing, the transitioning, and how these topics weave in and out of one another is very brutal.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's as gracefully done as it is in, in revisionist history. And I think it, it it feels unfair to judge it on the fact that when you listen to podcasts, you're not expected, in my opinion, you're not expected to be sitting... And listening only to the podcast in the way that you would watch a movie or read a book or even listen to an audiobook. And I can argue it's one of the reasons audiobooks, I'm choosy about when I listen to audiobooks. I'm not going to do it when I'm cooking or when I'm, I might do it when I'm like walking a dog, might walking my dog, but I'm not going to do it when I'm doing something that's going to distract me, even if it's just for a few seconds, because audiobooks, I feel like I should consume those the way that I would read a book. Whereas podcasts, I don't feel like, at least I would never be able to consume the volume of podcasts that I do if I only did them when the only thing I'm paying attention to is the podcast. And you can argue, well, then these are the kind of podcasts that are for people who are going to only pay attention to that podcast while they're listening to it. And I say that's great, but it is something that you should be aware of going into it. And it is something that I think is going to narrow the audience for the podcast, like if you need to sit down and only listen to this and not have anything distract you, that's a different experience than most people expect to have with a podcast. If you're listening to this while you're commuting or anything where your attention is divided, it might be a little bit harder to catch the transitions and they might feel a little more confusing than if you were listening to it the way you would read a book. And that might be the issue of having somebody like Tim Harford, who's an author and a journalist, writing a podcast series that is a podcast and not a book. And you could, I mean, Malcolm Gladwell, also an author first. But there's something about the way he steps through his connections that felt so much more organic than in this particular podcast. I think this podcast is really well-written, for the most part, a few exceptions. I think the Supper Club episode is not one of the best ones, but some of the really great episodes, I think are really great, but I agree. If you're not gonna be paying attention to this 100%, you're either gonna get lost, confused, not make the connection, or just get frustrated, which it sounds like you did.
1: Yeah. and. and- I will agree with you like the, the writing is really good it's just the transitions mm-hmm. are just just doesn't work for this format in my opinion so I mean and as far as rating goes I want to like it because the conceit <laughs> of the podcast is interesting to me mm-hmm. but I just I, I just couldn't bring myself to listen to another episode so uh, I'm going to rate it as a hate it unfortunately but You know, here's the funny thing. If we hadn't listened to Revisionist History first, I may have been a little kinder to this podcast.
0: (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to rate it. I don't hate it. I actually like this podcast. Obviously, I've listened to two full seasons of it. I think there are weaker episodes, and I think there are better episodes. I do think Tim Harford's a great writer. I think his episode reading a chapter of The Data Detective makes me want to read that book. So I'm probably going to buy that book and read it. I, I find a lot to like here, I but I don't think it's perfect. I think it does have some flaws. And again, it's really hard to specify what it is about the way they navigate topics that makes it a little bit harder to follow than something like Revisionist History. So I hate to to criticize it, but not have a solution or not explain exactly why it doesn't work, but there's something about it that doesn't work there. So I can I can grant that, but... I do think it has value. I think it's entertaining to listen to. And I think it's one that if you put it in your playlist and you want to listen to it, kind of Listen to this podcast when you're doing something that doesn't divide your attention too much. For me, that's walking the dog. I'm mostly paying attention to what I'm listening to when I'm walking the dog. If I get to an area like we have a nature preserve near us where there's a lot of birds and I want to look at all the birds and everything, I'll probably pause if I'm listening to something like this that I really need to pay attention to. And that's what I would recommend for this kind of podcast. It's not just sort of casual listening. You really need to pay attention to kind of absorb all that's happening with it. Next up is the Brady Haywood podcast, and this is a follow-up from a previous episode we did. We reviewed a podcast series, it was a limited series, called Saving Apollo 13, which was hosted by Dr. Sean Brady. Uh, one of the things we actually mentioned during that episode is if we were wondering if he had any other podcasts, because we, in our research, discovered he was a forensic engineer. Well, I mean, he mentions that in his intro to the series, so we knew that, but, uh, and that he had a, an actual engineering firm, forensic engineering firm called Brady Haywood in Australia. So we wanted to dig in and see if he had any other podcasts, and it turns out he does. He has a podcast called the Brady Haywood Podcast, and it's it's not on any network that I'm aware of. And not shockingly, it is a show about engineering failures and disasters. And the official description is, we examine the technical, human, and organizational causes of failure and explore why our decision-making is not nearly as rational as we'd like to think. Most of the episodes of this podcast are pretty short form, and it's Dr. Sean Brady going through a particular event, usually a catastrophic event. One of the episodes I listened to was the I 35W bridge collapse in Minneapolis. I have connections in Minneapolis, and I, I remember that bridge collapse happening, so it was one that I was interested to hear about in terms of a forensic engineer's analysis of it. Another one was on the tunnel collapse. Uh, it's in the Northeast, but it was the, the Big Dig. I do remember the Big Dig being this huge cost kind of debacle where they were building this tunnel, and then later there was a collapse, and so he did the analysis of that. Um, so that's basically what the, the conceit of the podcast is, is reviewing these disasters. And the Saving Apollo 13 series was actually a... A series of episodes within this podcast. And then he later kind of broke it out and published it as its own separate podcast feed. So the Saving Apollo 13 series is actually part of this podcast, but I was not aware of that at the time that I discovered the uh, Apollo 13 series. So the bonus is there is an episode of this podcast that was not part of the Saving Apollo 13 feed uh, where he does sort of an addendum episode to that series, where he talks a little bit about the production of that series, the choices that he made, actually answers some of the questions that we had when we had when we did that uh, episode of our podcast. And I have to give him a shout out because he did respond on Twitter and kind of answer some of those questions there as well. And that's one of the ways I found that he had this other podcast as well as this specific episode which sort of dealt with some of those questions we had and i do want to specifically call out the fact that one of the questions we had was why was there not more of the uh, actual audio clips from you know because all of that is available between capcom and the apollo 13 mission and i had speculated that it's because a either the audio quality wasn't great and without subtitles it might be hard to understand it speaking from watching the Apollo uh, apollo 11 movie i could see how that might be the case or Some of those communications, especially between the different consoles, not necessarily Capcom to Jim Lovell and his crew, but within the different consoles might be hard to get a hold of or harder to get a hold of anyway. But that wasn't the case. The reason for it, which is totally logical, is that they all sound really boring because they're all so professional and calm despite what's happening around them, despite the danger they're in because they're so well-trained, all of their communication. And this is true. If you've listened to Apollo 11 in real time or Apollo 13 in real time, which are great websites, they are very, very calm. So he he took the time to answer those questions, but this is also addressed in that particular episode of his podcast. So I wanted to call that out as a follow-up to our original review of The Saving Apollo 13. But speaking to this specific podcast, aside from the Apollo 13 mission episodes that he did, it's a really interesting podcast because it's about these kind of architectural... Disasters and what leads to them, and it's both horrifying and reassuring at the same time. That was my experience in listening to it. So, <laughs> before I get into why, which episodes of this did you listen to?
1: Uh, I also listened to the Minneapolis uh, Highway Bridge collapse because I-, I do remember that happening, and like you, connections in Minneapolis. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: now I wanted to listen to that. I also listened to the I 90 tunnel collapse, which I think that's the one you're referring to. Yes, yes, and I got to give him a call out. Thank you for naming the episodes exactly about what it's about. (laughs) So (laughs) uh, it's and that's the thing. His podcast, it's short and he jumps right into it and it's he gets right to the point. There's no banter. There's no uh, just himming and hawing. I mean, he just he gets right into it. And he is I would say he's a natural writer. And again, you know, if he's doing forensic. Uh, engineering, I'm assuming that he has to tell a story, right? Cause it's usually the case, you know, you see like even, like the challenger Columbia after they do an investigation, you're telling a story and he doesn't get caught up in the technical jargon of it either, which I could see someone who is an engineer making a podcast. I'm assuming he thinks most, most people who are going to listen to this are going to be engineers. Cause it's almost it, like I said, it's not part of any network. It almost feels like in a way, kind of like an advertisement for his company or is firm in a way. Uh, and I don't know if that's true or not, but he doesn't get into the technical jargon and really explains things like, here's how they th- they packed the sand this way for this reason under the bridge. They did this, that, and the other without getting the jargon in there. So I, you know, and I'm not an engineer, but for, I so I could fully understand what, why that bridge collapsed. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so it was really fascinating and i think he's just a natural naturally good writer for this kind of stuff it'd be interesting to see if he ever would come out with a book or something but looking at the list though it doesn't seem like it's all like disasters in the terms of something catastrophic happened this you know hotel collapsed or something but like i think the newest one episode which i do want to listen to uh, yes. which only came out a few days ago it's like the the montreal olympics and why it costs so much money it costs like 20 times the original price and it's all because engineering failures, I'm assuming, project management, hell, can just cause huge skyrocketing costs. So I guess you could be call it a
0: financial disaster.
1: Right, it's a financial disaster, exactly. <laughs> and But that all kind of plays in engineering, right? And especially mm-hmm. if you're an engineering firm, project management's an important part of that. So I would assume forensics, it's not just about actual catastrophic failures, but I'm assuming his maybe even his firm looks at project management failures. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well So that was it's, I, I'm really looking forward to listening to that episode And like you said we were kind of In a weird sort of way double dipping In, in reviewing uh, you know, Dr. Sean Brady Because like you said the Apollo 13 series Is completely within this podcast series But it also exists as its own Limited series uh, As its own kind of channel And I didn't listen to the addendum And I, I, I needed to go back and listen to that But I didn't because we had already kind of covered the Apollo stuff So I was like okay I just want to listen to the stuff Specifically about the forensic engineering topic that this other podcast is for.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, that's, I I listened to, so I listened to I-35W, the I-90 collapse, tunnel collapse, thank you for reminding me the name of that one, and then I listened to the one about the Quebec Bridge, which actually was a bridge that collapsed while it was under construction, and it was in the late 1800s, if I remember correctly, and that one was really interesting because from a a forensic engineering perspective, it's not like you have all this modern information in terms of the breakdown of it. I mean, obviously, there was an investigation into why it happened, but... One of the things I found really fascinating as kind of a through line throughout some of these disasters was it's never one thing. It's never one thing like this one fatal thing caused. the. I mean, you can you can point at one thing and say that was a factor, but it's never that by itself. Like with the I-90 bridge collapse and the epoxy, which was a fast curing epoxy, you could say that that's the issue, but there was so many chances along the way for that to have been caught and are dealt with with the process because they're supposed to be redundancies, right? And everything you do, and it comes back to what you were talking about is project management. And so it's, it's, it's both interesting, it's reassuring to see that there are so many different fail safes to try to catch these kinds of problems. But it's also kind of horrifying that like, multiple times all those fail saves have failed so it is a lesson in human kind of the flaws of human uh, hubris and just the tendency of people to just go along in some cases or the pride that's involved especially in the quebec bridge disaster there was definitely a pride factor that was a problem with the main project leader of that particular project so I mean, to the point where he wouldn't even go out to the project site. He would just make decisions from New York where he was, you know. So I think it's really, really interesting. And you're right. He doesn't waste a lot of time. He's not there to create all this extra drama. Although he does, he does a really great job. And I think this comes back to what you're talking about. His writing is very good. He does a good job of making it interesting or, or I don't even say making it interesting. He tells the story in a way that highlights what's interesting about the story.
2: And to understand why this happened, we need to step back and look at how this tunnel was constructed. So first, why have a ceiling in the tunnel? What does it do? Well, the primary reason to have a ceiling is for ventilation purposes. A portion of this area between the suspended ceiling and the roof contains ventilation ducts. These are used to maintain air quality in the tunnel and to remove smoke if there's a fire. And this ceiling space is quite high. There's about 1.7 metres between the ceiling and the roof. Now, in terms of construction, this ceiling was made up of concrete panels that were suspended by beams and rods from the roof of the tunnel. And it was some of these panels, as well as some of the supporting structure, that fell. So now we need to get into some detail as to how these concrete panels are actually suspended from the tunnel roof. So in this particular section of the tunnel, the concrete panels are supported by a number of support beams that run along the length of the tunnel. So these beams hold up the panels. The beams are then supported by hanger support rods which are in turn supported by roof hanger plates. And these roof hanger plates are connected to the tunnel roof by epoxy anchors. So what's an epoxy anchor? Well, one way to think about it is that it's a threaded bar that sticks out of the tunnel roof. Then, using a nut, you can connect the hanger plate to it. So to install these anchors, you drill a hole in the tunnel roof, clean out the hole, push epoxy into the hole, which is like a glue, and then you push the anchor, which is a treaded bar, up into the hole. The epoxy sets, which now leaves you with a treaded bar hanging from the roof. And this is what you bolt the hanger plates to.
0: And so he's not over-dramatizing it or inserting drama. He's just highlighting where there is drama and or, I mean, for lack of a better term, blatant... I don't want to say stupidity, but just, you know, people overlooking things or agreeing to things that make no sense or making decisions that are poorly thought out or not thought out at all. You know, so it's really fascinating. And I've always been fascinated by this kind of thing, but there's a there's a YouTube channel, It's a Canadian YouTuber called AVE, and he's an engineer. His channel is not about this. So don't go to his YouTube channel thinking this is what you're going to find. But he has occasionally dipped into when there's been like a bridge collapse or that walkway collapse in Miami, where he'll kind of speculate on based on what he's seeing in the evidence of the photos and and in the history of that particular project, he can kind of make some assumptions about what might be the issue. Uh, While I like that YouTube channel a lot, it's hard to follow because there's so much engineering talk. And I feel like this podcast could easily slip into that. Because this is somebody who's a forensic engineer. That's what his firm does. To your point, I think his audience is other engineers and or people who want to hire somebody to either project manage or evaluate an issue that they've had or whatever, you know, whatever it is that services that his company provides. That's clearly his target audience because he doesn't seem to monetize in any other way. But it's totally followable. Like he translates anything that's that he will use the the proper terms, but then he'll explain what he means by those. So when he's talking about certain types of, you know, like the epoxy or the when he's talking about the way the ceilings are suspended in the I-90 tunnel, I could picture it in my head as he was describing. It, I'm like, oh, OK, I, I can visually see exactly what that would look like, even though I'm not an engineer and I have no knowledge about how tunnels are built, <laughs> he's really good at that. So anybody can just pick this up and listen to it if you're interested at all, even if you're not an engineer, but you're just interested in how these things happen or how these things come together. It's it's fascinating and it's quick. Like each episode, I think maybe they're 20 to 30 minutes max, so it's mm-hmm. not a big ask in terms of a, a time commitment for these.
1: Yeah. And I get the feeling that he's obviously very passionate about engineering and he wants people to be he wants to be able to teach, I, I assume. Two people who are non-engineers. Because, again, somebody who is an engineer probably could completely appreciate this podcast, and they will. But even non-engineers can completely appreciate this podcast. And one of the things I I was interesting was that the Minneapolis Highway Bridge collapse, like, I knew it was because the gussets were too thin. Like, I had heard Mm -hmm. that before. But he talked about, even though how thin they were, the bridge stood for 40 years.
0: Mm -hmm. It's kind
1: of remarkable because of these other redundancies. Yep. And then he goes into, like, how the you know the national Transfer, transportation safety board versus the actual you know minnesota uh, uh, governing body i can't remember the name of it off the top of my MDOT. head like, yeah. they just had these little holes and gaps in their sir you know in their uh, in their surveys and inspections and stuff like that that just kind of had certain things overlooked but considering the flaw the fatal flaw there was other redundancies in place that kind of helped stay afloat for 40 years and then there was other failures that happened as well That nobody caught. And and to be honest, this is like, this is the true cautionary tales, in my opinion. Um, (laughs) I don't know. He just, his transition into all those topics is very well done as well. So Mm -hmm. his podcast flows really well. And that's, and and here's the funny thing. Like I, when the Minneapolis Bridge collapsed, that's that's one of his earlier episodes. And you could tell he was still kind of trying to get in the feel of the production. You know, there was no music in the background. Like his intro music was way too loud. I could barely hear him. You know, his audio quality was, you know, it was passable. But then I listened to the I-90 Tunnel Collapse, and that was post-Apollo series. Yeah. And you could tell he has learned a lot about podcasting between his early days to now, because you listen to the newer episodes. The music is, you know, the balance is really good. His his quality is really good. Uh, his You know, he's got background music. It's a lot more of an engaging podcast. And... You could tell that he's just he's he's the podcast has definitely matured in a very good way to where it really sounds like a high quality, high production podcast now.
0: Yeah. And I will say it's it's clearly a side gig right and mm-hmm. and understandably so this guy has an engineering firm forensic engineering firm this is not his full time job um so the frequency of podcast episode drops is obviously uh, kind of all over the place um not super frequent again there was one just dropped like you mentioned we haven't listened to but I do want to listen to it cuz it sounds fascinating and there was actually in the addendum of the Apollo 13 episode or series there was a mention of a potential another big series like that that he was working on that was going to take a while I think I want to say that addendum episode may have been in 20 It might have been 2019, I could be wrong. And he said it would be a while before it came out, but I don't know if he's abandoned it or if it's just kind of on hiatus or it's taking longer than he thought, which again, this is a side project for him. So I'm not holding him to any particular timeline, but I'm really excited about it if he is going to do another kind of long form series like he did Apollo 13. He sort of gave a teaser at the end of the addendum episode. I don't know what the teaser means, but it almost sounds like I don't know. You can listen to it and decide for yourself. I I have a feeling maybe it has something to do with Everest. I don't know. It sounds like somebody walking through snow and then there's this poem that he quotes and that was sort of the teaser about what that series might be about. So I'm really hoping he's going to do it because I really want to hear it because I think the quality of the Apollo 13 long form series was, was really, really good. But even if he doesn't do it, I think his... His regular feed is fascinating to listen to. Even if you're not an engineer, which I'm not, it's just interesting, you know, and and none of it, I will say this too, it's really easy for this type of topic, evaluating disasters that have I mean, there's a million YouTube channels that you could go to to watch about every disaster that's ever happened, every engineering catastrophe that's ever happened. And you will find everything from people who are super highly technical and not able to follow unless you're an engineer, to people who are super dramatic and over-dramatize it and try to make it into this... Uh, spectacle of of horror, and I think he strikes a really excellent balance between focusing on the actual details of what happened, the chain of events that led to it, but keep the jargon down to a point. Include the jargon, but explain it in a way that doesn't feel awkward or clunky. You know, it's a very kind of natural flow to the story. To your point, I think he does a really good job kind of writing the storyline of the of the event and what led up to it, how it happened, what was found afterwards. But it's not dry and clinical. Like he no. does, and we know this from the Apollo 13 series, he has a great delivery in terms of, again, I don't want to say dramatizing, but just... just just a really great delivery style in terms of telling the story. He's a good storyteller.
1: Yeah, and I was thinking that the other day actually. I was like, you know, it'd be interesting if he did like another Apollo type series, you know, like on Chernobyl or something like that. You know, that it's another awesome. famous
0: He mentioned he mentioned Chernobyl as one of the potentials that he'd been asked to do.
1: Oh, yeah. But
0: I don't think that's the one he's doing. But I right. I agree. I would love to hear his take on Chernobyl.
1: Yeah, because I mean Apollo 13, you know, everyone knows that story to some degree. And it's still fascinating listening to it being told, you know, from him. Mm-hmm. And I would really appreciate, you know, something like Chernobyl, or even something where it's project management nightmares. Famous project management nightmares like Hubble, the space yes. telescope, the James Webb telescope, which was supposed yes. to <laughs> launch what, like, ten years ago? I think ridiculous. it was closer
0: to twenty years. I think 20 it really, year, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so
1: that should, that should fall into the project management side of engineering catastrophes. But yeah, I mean, there there's so many major events that. I, I would be very excited to know like what the new project's going to be.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I think from from a review perspective, I obviously love this podcast, Newly Discovered, glad i did aside from the saving apollo 13 sub story within this podcast i really really like the actual main meat of the podcast as well the the forensic engineering aspect of of going through these different events and like i said i can't wait to listen to the montreal olympics episode because that sounds really intriguing uh, and i'm really hopeful he does do another kind of deep dive series i understand if he doesn't because again this is a side gig and, and I will just mention as a side note, I don't, uh, there's not been any ads in the episodes I listened to. I don't think he monetizes it in any way. To your point, I think it's really just a project that he enjoys doing and probably also kind of helps him get, helps his firm get some attention as a forensic engineering firm. But overall, it's a, it's a great series. Yeah, I can't recommend it enough.
1: Yeah, and it's probably pretty obvious to me. I, I don't hate it at all. To be honest, it would be nice to... I need to see if, like, he's been in other podcasts. Because I know, you know, he had responded to us on Twitter, which was very nice uh, for him to do that. And, you know, say, hey, I've got this other podcast. I wonder if he's ever been a guest on another podcast, because that would might be interesting. It, I have to make a Joe Rogan reference. It'd be great to see him on Joe Rogan, but... Um, <laughs> but it'd be interesting to see him, like, kind of delve more into, like, a long-form discussion about just, like, what does forensic engineering entail? Like, just... Have that kind of discussion. I think that would just be really fascinating. Because to me, I think we had said this during the Apollo thirteen episode, like forensic engineering. Didn't even know that's a thing. That sounds amazing,
0: <laughs> you know? Right, so,
1: exactly. We're both we're both kind of nerdy, so you know that that kind of thing we're just kind of naturally attracted to. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I don't hate this podcast. I think it's excellent. And, and again, you don't have to be an engineer to appreciate it. And I think if you find the idea of like, hey, why did a whole tunnel collapse? Why did this bridge collapse? Why did a hotel collapse? you're going to learn something, which is, you know, fantastic.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think going into it, you don't have to, if if you're just curious, that's all you need. You just need some curiosity and I think you'll appreciate this podcast. Have thoughts you want to share? Send us an email at whyihateyourpodcast at gmail.com or visit our website at whyihateyourpodcast.com. You can also find us at hateyourpodcast on Twitter and Instagram. Our intro, transition, and outro music is by Kevin McLeod and licensed under Creative Commons. Please see the show notes for details.